Our sermon uh, text this morning comes from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, which you can see in the bulletin, and I've entitled it, Rejoicing in Prayer. Now, it's important, you know, as we've come in here this morning and we have come to worship, that we are worshiping through how we are experiencing God, how we're thanking God for being here with us. He's here right now. The Spirit of Christ, of course, is in all believers who are here this morning. And so, it's through prayer then that we have access to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, so often we are, we know that, but so often we're saying, okay, but I'm here on the earth, and I'm doing this here, and it's sort of limited to here. But the truth is far, far different. When we're praying, then we're going before our Father who knows our every need, knows our every anxiety, knows our every pain, our every struggle, and He wants us to talk to Him about these things that we're struggling with. And so it's through Jesus that we have access to the love and the joy of the Trinity this morning. Where is the Trinity? Where is the Trinity? Is the Trinity here? Is Jesus here? Yes, He's here in one sense in spirit, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in heaven. And the true place of where worship is taking place, perfect worship. And they're in this beautiful, loving, and glorious relationship of love that never changes. And so we're being invited then into that relationship through Christ because we're the body of Christ. We're in Christ. So there's much more going on here as we think about prayer, as we think about the relationship that we have. The fact that we're in Christ now, it's not some just future event. We're in Christ now, and so where Christ is, then that's where our prayers are going, right into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God Himself. And he stands ready to answer those prayers. And so we see how he thinks about those in Revelation 5.8, which says that our prayers are gathered in this golden bowl. So our prayers are filling up that golden bowl in the Holy of Holies in the presence of the Father. And there's incense a sense of incense. The prayers are like incense that are burning. So what's, what's happening is the Father's up there, and so the aroma, the sweet aroma of our prayers are wafting up into His nostrils, and He's delighting in them. Your prayers, my prayers, it's not just here. We don't have a brass heaven where the prayers can't go through. The prayers are going into the Holy of Holies. And so this is an amazing thing that's taking place. It's glorious and it's wonderful. You know, I can still remember when I first discovered Philippians 4, 4 through 9, about 40 years ago when I was a young Christian. And it was amazing. The words leaped off the page and grabbed my heart first time I actually had those words penetrate my heart. And they became like a soothing balm in my heart. And I read them over and over. And I memorized them. And the reason that 
I reacted that way because I was in a time of high anxiety and stress. And I wasn't sure how to solve these issues that I was facing in my own strength. So I was upset. And so as I began to pray these words, I actually personalized them, which means that I would pray like this. I would say, well, God is near me. I'm not going to be anxious about anything. So you see how I'm personalizing that. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I will make these particular issues known to you, O Lord. And Lord, your peace, which passes all understanding, will keep my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So I prayed that in faith. And I prayed it over and over. I have prayed that prayer thousands of times. And I saw that peace did begin to permeate my being. And so these words over the years have become my constant companion. And every time I face something that's hard or difficult, things that I don't totally understand, I pray for that great peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus. And he always gives it. He always gives it for me. You see, God knows the circumstances that you're in right now. He knows the circumstances I'm in. He knows the details. He knows the emotions. He knows the practicality. He knows the, the money. He knows all the different things, the personalities, the people around you. He knows that you're in some difficult circumstances, sometimes more difficult than others. But you see, God doesn't promise to prevent negative circumstances in our lives. No, what he promises is that he'll bring us peace as he walks through those promise, those circumstances with us. Often he's using some of those circumstances to reach us and touch our hearts. And so he longs for us to turn to him in prayer when we're in those kinds of situations. And then he will reveal that we're not alone in our circumstances. And you see, so often that's how we feel. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets the pain and the hurt that I'm feeling. God does. His son knows for sure. He's experienced far worse. And so he wants us to turn to him because he has the answers. And he has the power to bring peace to our souls. So, for example, I can remember when I was applying for Medicare a few years ago. Yeah, I'm an old guy. <laughs> and uh, Medicare pre presents all these choices, and I had the hardest time trying to find out the details of who to contact, what the choices were. It's almost like they try to figure out ways to stop you from getting all the information you need to make a wise choice. So I was beginning to feel very frustrated, so I tried to call the Medicare people, I hope there's no Medicare people in here this morning. <laughs> and, uh, and I got more and more frustrated because I couldn't reach the people that I needed to talk to. And I couldn't even find a person to talk to because you keep getting transferred from this and that and the other. And then it's like 45 minute or an hour wait. And it's like, oh my goodness. So I was kind of walking around the house all upset. And, uh, and so Diane said, what's the matter? And I told her I unloaded on her, poor woman. 
And she, uh, she said, well, let's pray. You need to pray. Well, that caught me up short. I mean, for 40 years, roughly, I'd been praying Philippians 4, 5 through 7. So I'd prayed thousands of times in the past. But you see, what happens is, is that my fears and anxieties were controlling me. And I needed her to remind me to pray. And so we all need that. We all need those who are around us to remind us when we need to turn to the Lord and be able to pray for that peace that passes all understanding. It's not enough for me just to know about prayer. It's not enough for me to be able to recite the Lord's Prayer, which everybody in here has done that this morning, and you've heard it read in addition. Okay, we can know that, but we have to live it. I actually have to pray. I have to sit down, close my eyes, or keep them open, doesn't matter, but but to pray and bring God into the picture. And so, when we pray, then we're being reminded that God is near, that we're not alone. And that's very important. And I know that when he's there that he will hear me and he'll take charge of the circumstances. He'll take charge. He's sovereign. And so, every time that you find yourself in a place that you need prayer, you're anxious, you're upset about something, turn to the Lord. And your prayers will go up into the throne room of God in the Holy of Holies. And he will hear them. And he will answer them. So it's my fervent prayer this morning that as we hear what Paul is teaching us is that this prayer in Philippians will also become a soothing balm for your souls, that you'll be delighting and turning to your Lord who cares about you more than you possibly know. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. I just feel like the Lord just putting in my heart right now to just tell you how much God loves you this morning. His tender mercies are being poured out towards you whether you feel like that or not. They are. He loves you more than you can possibly know or think. And he is so delighted that we've gathered here this morning in his presence. And he wants you to taste his presence and his love for you this morning. Please hear the word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the Word of God. Please be seated.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence with us here this morning and your delight in us. I pray that you would reassure every heart here this morning how much you care about them and delight in them and the future and the hope that they have in Christ. Lord, open our hearts now. May we all hear what we need to hear as the word is shared. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first sermon point that we have this morning, rejoicing, rejoicing. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So Paul unlocks here his secret, the secret of his joys. He was experiencing unjust imprisonment in Rome, as well as the possible death sentence that could come his way any time. He didn't know. And so what was he rejoicing about? He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman Praetorian guard. Circumstances were terrible. He was rejoicing in his salvation, not his outward circumstances. That's where his focus was. His salvation was a gracious gift from God. It's something that was permanent and eternal. King David echoed this same sentiment in Psalm 13. When he wrote, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? See, he's talking about his circumstances now, right? His circumstances. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? He's feeling very alone, isn't he? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Threat. It's ongoing. So David was facing some very difficult circumstances. But listen to how David closes the psalm with these words. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David is rejoicing because God had saved him. He knew where his eternal rest was going to be. Both King David and the Apostle Paul often faced some very negative and difficult circumstances, life-threatening circumstances, but they never lost the joy of their salvation in the middle of all that. So we see that rejoicing is an inward acknowledgement of what God has done in our lives and will continue to work in us and to be sovereign over us. For example, we see that Jesus' mortal body is now immortal and Jesus' perishable body is now imperishable. And when Jesus returns, he's going to do something glorious. Our bodies are going to be resurrected. And your mortal body will become immortal. And your perishable body will become imperishable. We can rejoice over that. That's going to happen regardless of your behavior, regardless of any other circumstance and trials and things you'll be facing. We can rejoice in that. And that's what he's calling us to do to rejoice. Amen? Amen. 
that it's hard to rejoice, isn't it, in the midst of difficult circumstance? So we're not talking about a happy feeling. We're talking about what are we thinking about? We'll look a little bit later here in this passage about how Paul tells us to think. And how often does Paul tell us to rejoice here in verse 4? He says we should rejoice in the Lord always. Always. No exceptions. Regardless of your circumstances, rejoicing in your salvation. It changes your life, changes your perspective. You see God in the middle of your life, watching over you, protecting you, loving you, caring for you. And just in case you have any doubt about this, look what Paul says. He says, again I say, rejoice in your salvation. This is not idle. This is not suggestive. If you want the best and how to live your life, this is what you need to learn to do. And we need to learn it. It's not something that we just automatically do. So this means that every morning you wake up, rejoice in your salvation. That means all through the day and all the different circumstances that you find yourself. Rejoice in your salvation. Don't lose sight of this. That means when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you're ready to go to sleep, rejoice in your salvation. That's always rejoicing in your salvation. Don't ever lose sight of that because there's a real enemy out there. He wants you to get your eyes off of that and he wants to destroy you. He wants you to be upset and struggle and have pain and hurt and he wants to destroy your being. And so what does he do? He gets your eyes off of your salvation. He makes you feel like you're alone, that you have no hope. But when you rejoice in your salvation, that's just the opposite. You've got hope. The sovereign God is there all the time. So we're to do it always, always. And so we also see that Paul was rejoicing that the Lord was near at the end of verse 5. It says, God is near. Wow. He's always present in all of our circumstances. And I would suggest to you that in this passage that this is the key verse. That God's there. That God's near. Always. You're never separated. You're never alone. He's always there. He's near. And as we know, he lives within us through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So God has established with Paul a personal relationship. He's there. He's just not walking around. You know, Paul's just not walking around just all by himself. He's in Christ. And God is near. So, Paul is God's child. He's got a relationship like that with God. And the power and the wisdom and the love of God were ever present and available to him at all times, always. And that changes everything. That means that all day, every day, that when Paul was in these circumstances that he found himself, that even though he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, 
He didn't have to fear any evil. 23rd Psalm, sound familiar? He didn't have to fear. So we get our eyes off of the Lord and we aren't enjoying and rejoicing our salvation. We so quickly get off into that area of fear and doubt and pain and hurt, feeling isolated. It also means that because the Lord was with him, that goodness and mercy would follow him all his days. It's a promise from God. He's going to follow you all your days, and goodness and mercy are going to follow you like two sheepdogs just kind of tracking after you, loving you, watching over you. And also, he knew that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Non-negotiable. Absolute certainty. So we get it all the way in the Old Testament, all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. What a joy it is to know that. Rejoicing in these things. And so any time that Paul became anxious, he was assured that God was near. God was right there. And he was ready Anytime Paul could turn to him and pray and be able to receive that peace that passes all understanding. And that's true for you as well. Always. That brings us to the second point in our outline. There are two competing voices. Two competing voices that we struggle with. So whenever trials come our way, we usually react negatively when we first experience. It's like we don't stop and think, we just emotionally respond. Wow, wow that was a hurt, hurtful thing that person said. Or, you know, my goodness, uh, you know, there needs to be uh, some change in the way the, the manager is handling things at work. That wasn't the way to do it. And so we get emotional about it and, and we get upset. And so that first voice is one that gets us away from God, helps, you know, challenges us to forget his presence. But then there's a second voice. The first voice is a lie. Don't listen to that voice. It's a lie. The second voice is God's voice, soothing voice speaking to me, that silent, quiet voice. It's like a quiet voice in the midst of the storm that comes through the Spirit. And that voice is saying, you're not alone. I'm here. And I'm able to handle this situation for you. I want you to turn to me in prayer and I want you to tell me what you're struggling with. I want that. It will be like a, a wonderful incense offering. The aroma of which is wafting up into my nostrils. That's what I want from you. And Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Beautiful. But this is where we fall short. So often we, we don't turn to the Lord. We wind up spending too much time hurting our eyes on the negativity, on the things of this world, when we need to turn our focus up. And remember that the Lord is near. Unfortunately, when we do that, we're consumed with anxiety. 
It's a spiral that's going down and getting worse because we keep thinking about the details of all that negativity, what I should have said to that person in response to justify my own behaviors or whatever it happens to be, but it just goes down. And so we increasingly get more and more, uh, you know, hateful responses to people. It's quick to criticize and tear people down because of the way they've treated me. Justify my own ways. And so we're consumed with those things instead of being consumed on what we should be consumed on. This is not easy to do. This is not easy. And sometimes it takes us time to work through these feelings of negativity, the ways we've been treated unjustly. And sometimes we try to escape the circumstances that God has placed us in. Instead of saying, God's with me through the circumstances. Normal behavior. We've all done it. But when we were looking to the Lord, God's saying to Paul, in jail, without any hope of getting out of jail, with a constant threat of possibly going to face death at any moment, Paul's writing these words in that circumstance. And that word is saying, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto me. That's what God wants. Changes everything. Thanksgiving is the key. Why should our prayers include thanksgiving? Glad you asked. <laughs> when we thank God, we're acknowledging our Heavenly Father's presence, power, and sovereignty, and lordship over our lives and circumstances. So we need to thank him for that because that brings back the memories of what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. We need to be brought back centering on him. That's, that's how we worship. Here as well as the other six days of the week, we're thanking him and praising him for the things he's done for us. Amazing, fabulous, glorious things. We can also thank him for the way he's established a relationship with us. He has pursued us. He has claimed us. He has saved us. All the giving is on his side. All the receiving is on our side. We thank him because we don't approach the throne of grace as orphans. And that's because we're children of God now, and that's what he's done. We thank him for that. We approach the throne of grace because we're not penniless, that we have all the treasures of heaven that Christ has received, and we're going to have a part in receiving those one day. We're heirs. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love. We thank him because we're daily loaded with all of his benefits and blessings for his desire to bless us beyond we can possibly think or imagine so much better. 
And we thank God because he's opened wide the doors of heaven. And he bids us to enter his throne room of grace where we can pray our prayers, which he receives. And every time his children come and give us, give his, uh, we give him the prayers that we, the concerns we have. He's so thankful for that. And he restores our peace. Our focus is where? On the things of this world? Or on the Holy of Holies? The true Holy of Holies in heaven? Where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are. We're to thank God as we remember that in our times of trouble, that his steadfast love is always present. There's always blessing in our suffering. We don't suffer needlessly. So even in those times of suffering, there's reason and purpose, and God works all things together for our good. You know, Paul gives a great example in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, where he's suffering with a thorn in the flesh. And so he, the one who's penning these words, says, okay, I, I'm praying. <laughs> he says, I'm praying that you remove this from me. And so what is the response? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. We don't need our strength. We need God's strength. Our end is faith believing, trusting in God. And what he's teaching us is how to live in total dependence upon him. Not that we've got bigger faith muscles, which we do as we exercise them. But the point is, we see a bigger and a loving, more caring God as we progress in life's experiences. And we see us working through these things because he's near and he's restoring our peace. And sometimes when we pray, just like Paul did here for his thorn in the side, God says, no. Circumstances aren't going to change. I want you to trust in me. My grace is going to be poured out. It's still okay. Be at peace. There's things happening that I'm doing in you and through you and around you that you can't possibly totally understand. Sometimes you're going to be suffering, Paul, on behalf of others, just like Jesus did. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> can I just suffer for myself? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can do that too. But there's a much bigger picture that God's got in mind, working all these things, bringing forth his kingdom in us and through us in a variety of different ways. And that brings us to our third point. What happens when we praise God and pray? First, again, God loves it when we pray. He wants that relationship with us. As we remember Revelation 5.8, that those prayers are going up and there's that sweet aroma going up, up into his nostrils that he delights in. So I encourage you, don't leave those golden bowls empty. Fill them up with your prayers. Second, we're promised that we'll receive the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Our hearts and minds will experience God's peace even when we're in circumstances like Paul's in, in jail. And when the suffering doesn't make any sense to us, 
And often it's that way. I've had a lot of life and I've had a lot of experiences where I have absolutely no idea what God's doing, but all you can do is trust that he's working everything together for good. And third, our faith is strengthened. Because as we go through difficult circumstances, we see our Lord come through for us. If you don't go through a difficult circumstance, you don't need God to come through for you. You don't need God's power. You can handle things in your strength. And so you're growing in your faith as it gets reinforced. And you see, wow, God really did come through on that. Now, having said all that, about these wonderful blessings, I do want to say one word of caution. Um, so, this is pretty important in certain cases when it might be happening. If you have been using pr this beautiful, wonderful prayer in Philippians 4 over the years, and you have not experienced the peace that's promised in this prayer, then I want to encourage you because if you're still anxious, your anxiety hasn't gone away, then this could be a sign of a deeper problem, either physical or spiritual. And I want to encourage you to go and get some counseling. There are certain things that happen to us that are sometimes biological, that where you need medication, things like that, some therapy. So, if that's true, then I encourage you to go in that direction. That brings us to our fourth outline point. What, do, what should we be thinking about? Paul tells us here. So instead of filling our hearts and our minds and thinking about these circumstances all the time with worry and anxiety as we face life's difficult challenges, Paul says we're to fill our hearts and minds with these things. What is true? What's just? What's pure? What's lovely? What's commendable? What's excellent? What's worthy of praise? Not, not with earthly worries. Change your focus. Stop thinking about those other things and change your focus on what the Lord's doing. These particular things are all beautiful and wonderful. So we're to think big and great thoughts about God instead of what is causing us worry. For example, here's a few things you can think about. Jesus' return and you're being glorified. How your body is going to be uh, imperishable one day. God's sovereignty and how he's working all things together for your good. That's a beautiful thing to think about, especially when things look bad. Think about how great a heavenly inheritance awaits you. How Jesus has saved you that he thinks you're worth dying for. You're God's child in whom he delights. What's it mean to be a child of God? Be thinking about that. You're in Christ and the spirit of Christ dwells in you. These are just a few things. You can think about a lot of other things. What does it mean about your justification? What, you know, all these different things that will benefit you as you think upon those things rather than the problems that are in your life all the time. So our thinking should not be focused on the negative and the critical, but on the positive. And so that means we need to find the good in other people, not the bad. And dear ones, I'm not thinking about anybody here in this congregation, 
But there are some folks that have a spirit of negativity. They have a spirit of criticism and they're always seeing what's wrong. And God says, that's not the way to think. Are you to discern? Yes, you are to discern, but you're not to condemn. And so if that's what you're seeing in other people that's negative, then go to prayer on their behalf and trust that the Holy Spirit's gonna do the changing. It's not your job to change them. It's not your, your job to go around criticizing about them. You're going against God when you do that. So find things that will encourage other people and build them up. Look for the good in other people. Because God's working on you just like he's working on them. (laughs) And he knows what he's doing. And so this is a great lesson in how to have good and wonderful interpersonal skills. Sometimes you can just find that somebody's wearing a a dress that looks really nice on them. You say, wow, that's a really nice dress. Find something that's positive and uplifting, and it's true about the people you come across. This is so good in interpersonal skills, good, wonderful interpersonal skills and how to build each other up. When our kids were still at home, we put the verse Ephesians 4.29 in our refrigerator. We had our kids memorize it, and we memorized it. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. How we use our words are very important. They could be negative and hurtful, or they could be building up and bringing the body together. Okay, Um, I wanna gently address the husbands just for a second. Wives, you can listen in. Kids, you can listen in. But this is meant to encourage you. You are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of your homes. It's the way God's designed it. So I want to encourage you to pray every day with your wife. You're the spiritual leader of your home. God wants you be praying for your wife every day. And so when I say that, what are you praying about? Well, you're going to ask her, where are your stresses? Where are the negative circumstances that you're looking at today? And then then I want you to pray out loud over your wife and bring God into the picture so that she's also experiencing that God is near. And vice versa, I want you to confess to your wife, where your stresses are, where your negative circumstances are. And then she should pray out loud, and I'm saying out loud on purpose, because it's cathartic when you hear that your spouse is praying for you and you're bringing the Lord into the middle of your marriage. And I promise you, over the years as I've seen this operating, marriages get more intimate and more close because you begin to learn more and more the depths of the struggle and the stresses, the anxieties that your spouse is facing. And you're there to bless them. And then as you've got those of you who have kids, ask your children where their stresses and their anxieties are. Don't just pray a 
uniform, you know, wrote prayer over them every single day. I mean, you should. You teach them to pray. But then find out what's going on inside of them and bring them into the place where they're enjoying the closeness of God and that God is near. And so, men, I'm, the reason I'm saying this to you is, is because you are the spiritual leaders of your family, and, and some of you are doing it and some of you are not. So I'm not trying to bring shame on you. I'm not trying to bring you know, crit criticism on you. I'm trying to help you to see the way that God and that Paul is, is saying, this is what we should be doing. This is the practical application of this, or part of the practical application. Teach your family how to rejoice in their salvation. God is glorious and God is good. These are things that he wants to bless us in. Teach your kids that their prayers are going right up to the throne room of God and their prayers are going in that golden bowl of incense and it's going up into God's nostrils like a sweet aroma. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and, and we praise you as we go through this journey with you, that journey that we've invited into, um, this way that Jesus has prepared for us. We ask that you would help us to grow and mature the places where we're not all the way there, which none of us are, but how we can live a life with you more and more the way you want us to. Thank you for the way you love us and delight in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.